Hello everyone and welcome back to Sarah's Space. I am again on my own and must admit that I am feeling a little lonely for my wonderful companionship that I have enjoyed with Alyssa on several episodes and also with Heidi and also with Sarah. So it's probably a good time to say that I've got a couple of exciting episodes coming up in the very near future where I will be in the company of not one, not two, but many young voices that are going to start a conversation and we're going to share one on the air. So that's what's to come. And what is occurring tonight is going to be a conversation regarding stress. I feel as though just about every single human being on the planet can speak to stress and their own experience with it. Uh, at the hands of it or around it. And I thought that it was a good time to think about it now, as for dancers, the season is coming to a close. For studio owners and uh, teachers as well, it's coming to a close. But now we embark upon the summer, which quite often has exciting new ventures that might be summer workshops or intensives or or summer schools in a far-flung uh slightly unfamiliar territory, or perhaps just an environment that provides a little bit more stimulation and competition than one's normally used to, which can be stressful. And for teachers, oftentimes there's some guest teaching in different places as well, and hopefully it doesn't cause any stress. But those were one of the things that came up as far as regarding the whole dancer life. And as far as being a human, I think that every single day human beings are dealing with what stress is, how it manifests itself in each of us, uh, what are our stressors around us, and what we can do about it. So let's talk about this. My feeling about stress is, uh, I would say, a hard one personal one, because I don't really feel as though I recognize the stress that was inherent in my life for a very long time as I am one of those types of people that the cute little code name gets uh, called the triple A personality or type A personality which in the psychological world just essentially means someone who does operate with a lot of agendas and schedules and organization and high self uh, demands and high standards for oneself and oftentimes the triple A part means that I put it on others as well. And I also have a hard time letting go of those things. I have to say that when I was in my 20s, I was living my life. I felt very full and rich and uh, filled with integrity as to where I was at that moment. And and where I wanted to be in my career and also in my relationships. And, you know, as, as life sometimes offers forth, um, a tragedy occurred. And that tragedy was so unexpected, as they often are. And the difficulty that, that followed for myself was truly, I, uh, it's hard to put into words, I, I was ill-prepared for recognizing that up until that point, although I thought that I was pretty relaxed and happy and content, 
my my daily level of what I expect of myself and, and what I expect to deliver is so high that when something goes wrong, I don't have a lot of cushion. And thereby, I went into full-on survival mode. I was able to survive uh, quite successfully uh, from a professional standpoint. I think from a per- personal standpoint, I provided what I could and um, that what I do think was reasonably helpful for those around me that needed it. I know that for myself, I provided nothing. I know that I ended up with a pretty uh, obvious skin condition. I know that I ended up uh, with such an upset stomach that it was hard to digest food. I know that I was having trouble sleeping. I know that I had nightmares. I know that I had a really hard time just finding a way for me to decompress from the stresses of an unexpected situation that isn't particularly happy. And coming out of that time period of my life, I made all sorts of changes, um, some of them quite huge. I changed a long-term relationship and um, embarked upon sort of a dating phase of my life that added different types of stresses, as one can only imagine. Um, I also, I eventually changed my living arrangement and bought uh, the house, my first house, my only house, the one that I am still living in. And I really tried to reevaluate what it was that I wanted from myself and what it was that I wanted from myself for others. And I have to be completely genuine and say, I don't think I really fully sorted that out until my mid to late 30s. I would say that my early 30s were also a time of discovery of figuring out that Well, I think figuring out that my stress levels would be very obvious if they were relating to, you know, bad traffic or being running a bit behind schedule or feeling ill or some sort of untoward circumstance at the dance studio or a fight with my, uh, well, then boyfriend, now husband, or many other things came up that definitely would be such obvious, I'll call them button pushers, because we're going to talk about that later on, that I would think, okay, well, this is the stress and everything else I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mitigating and dealing with and ameliorating in a a really, well, efficient and sufficient fashion. And I, again, uh, found out that wasn't entirely true, uh, again, because my body told me. I feel as though I can point out the three times in my life in which I I feel as though the emotional duresses that I've been under have taken me to the edge of my limitations, my body has done something quite dramatic um, and generally speaking, quite profoundly painful to point out to me that we now need to stop. And it's easy to get completely confused in the moment and perplexed and particularly for me, who's so interested in anatomy and scientific reasoning and, and having a a rational beginning and middle and end to every single question. As much as I love philosophical conversations, I, I realize that I have this 
part of my personality that has really been dominant for a good part of my, well, I would say my young life and only in the last 20 years, well, let's be real, 15 years have I been allowing myself uh, to be less dominant in the rational side and more open to the inexplicable and more open to a different type of reasoning. And that has provided for me a correlation between stress and physical ailments, uh, physical breakdowns, injuries, sicknesses, etc. And I feel as though I'm certainly not an expert on this, and I'm certainly not going to um, attest to any um, great revelatory illumination and, and then have to write a testimonial and be interviewed by scientists. But I am going to say my own personal experience has taught me that uh, stress is only going to take me so far, and then my body is going to start the shutdown process. And because I am so physical, and because I really do rely on that to, I guess, keep that sort of mammalian kind of animal nature part of myself ticking, it seems to hit me there first, and then it starts to wind its way around into more subtle manifestations. And I feel as though I'm probably not the only human being that has experienced this, and that there have been many of us that have found these same things happening. We might have that that inexplicable shaking in the middle of the day or that sickness in the pit of your stomach, that tightness that you just can't seem to shake, that makes you just feel like, well, I just can't eat right now. That, that desire to sleep and then inability to sleep through the night, the weird skin afflictions that pop up and down, a sudden allergy to something you have never been allergic or I won't even call it an allergy but a sensitivity to something environmental you haven't been sensitive to in the past and then of course the emotional reactions in which we find ourselves raw our nerves are raw we have a very hard time um, withstanding the day-to-day sort of uh, ineptitude (laughs) that may Uh, surround us in various ways or the day-to-day idiosyncrasies of other human beings or the day-to-day injustices that occur sometimes on a global level when we hear about it through the news or sometimes just locally through a traffic incident or something in the supermarket or maybe just witnessing something from afar and I feel as though my greatest well Okay, there's been quite a few things that have saved my butt. Number one was I decided that I needed to see a naturopath and I saw a naturopath that I really do find wonderful for me. And he spoke right away to my level of stress, my daily stress. He also spoke right away to my personality and the way I conduct myself and the way, well, the the things I expect of myself, both physically and mentally. And then he started asking me questions about my emotionality. And by the end, I, I know that he was in a, you know, a, a, not at all a patronizing way, but in a sort of a fond way, smiling and, and just pointing out that I was operating kind of like a fire <laughs> as opposed to something perhaps a little calmer. And he started to treat me for symptoms of pre-adrenal fatigue. And I 
had a huge uh, nutritional shift in my life. I put emphasis on increasing my protein intake because being a vegetarian, it's always been spotty and sporadic. And well, I found out quite poor and I got away with it, I guess, simply just because of my genetic structure and health and sort of intrinsic health. But now having changed that nutritional model for my life, I've, oh my goodness, I've noticed such a huge difference. He also pointed out the obvious that he's certainly not the first one to have done so, but that I needed some time to be me and just be me, just do things that make me happy. Uh, it can make me just content. They don't have to make me wildly happy. It doesn't have to be exotic. It doesn't have to be, you know, taking a new class and learning a new feat or a skill. It, it just simply needs to give us space to just be. And uh, he talked, well, he asked a lot about things that made me tick on that level. And I mentioned nature and being outside and outdoors and I guess on a low level exercising outdoors because it was either riding bikes or, or walking at a you know, decent pace. And I now have incorporated that daily into my life just to, I, I don't even want to use the co word cope because it sounds so dramatic, but I've, I've incorporated it in order to feel a calm that allows me to have patience with my daughter who needs and deserves all the patience I can possibly give her it allows me to have patience and and equally deserving time for my husband because inevitably, and again, I don't think I'm an isolated uh, human in this respect, we tend to take out our worst selves on those closest to us, the ones that love us the most. And I guess the happy reason is, is because we feel loved and we feel safe. But the sad reason is, is they're the ones that deserve the best of us. I mean, I think... When, when I think about it as objectively as I can, I feel as though, you know, that the patience and understanding and compassion that I show my students is the tip of the iceberg of what can actually exist within me. And I need to nurture that. And I need to make sure that that is always there for my husband and my daughter. So that at the very least, I mean, it's not removing anger. It's not removing um, the feelings of frustration with a situation or with an incident. Uh, absolutely not. I'm not, I'm certainly not purifying myself to a point where I, I just don't feel things like that, but it allows me the ability to communicate in a way that both my daughter and my husband in separate intervals can hear me and we can resolve the situation. And I do firmly believe that successful relationships need to be built on a friendship for one thing. So whether they're love relationships or platonic relationships, they need to be built on a friendship. In my opinion, a friendship needs to be built on trust, needs to be built on mutual respect. It needs to be built on mutual understanding. That does not mean you are soulmates. That does not mean that you are exactly alike. Does not mean that you share and coincide with every single personal view and perspective, you might come from wildly disparate backgrounds, you might actually lead your lives in wildly disparate ways. But it means that you give each other the space and the grace to be who you really are. And sometimes that means that you're not your best self. And that means that that other person in that moment has the 
the space in themselves to breathe through it and definitely to be able to communicate to you afterwards, perhaps that they didn't appreciate the way you just exploded or acted or didn't act. Perhaps you're in the cold, silent treatment, but either way, there's a communication about it and then there's a resolution. And I think that the interesting thing that I have noticed about stress in many situations, and I'm in a position as an educator to see a lot of um, student and parent relationships. And being a parent myself, I understand sometimes you're running late, it you know you're exhausted, your coffee sucked that morning, um, your your daughter or your son's room is a mess, they've got this to do, did that permission form get signed? You've got nine million things that you're thinking about and someone talks in an insolent manner or tries on behavior that is not remotely appreciated or respected in your household. It is really hard not to lose your mind and lose your temper. And I feel as though, although... I think we need to cut ourselves the slack and not feel like a criminal or a horrendous human being if you do not keep complete, cool, calm, uh, Buddha-like behavioral reactions all the time. I think that it is important to find that balance in ourselves so that when someone is in, let's call it a low place, we can be at least in a neutral place. We don't have to be in a high place, pretending everything's wonderful and, you know, trying to buoy up their spirits if we're still just trying to say whether the storm that they're going through, but to be in a position where we can at least just be neutral and listen, um, maybe allow them to vent, but to not take it on. And I see that between parents and students, a lot of the time, a parent will snap and the student snaps back and then the parent snaps again and then both of them leave each other in an angry mood and then the student comes into class and there's there's such a, a disconnect in the communication skills of someone who is at a mature level um, of evolvement in their actual frontal lobe. And there are so many more tools at your disposal and there's so many more recollections and memories for us to call upon and say, yeah, I actually remember being 16. I actually remember going through, you know, whatever uh, small or great injustice is perceived at the moment or trauma. And it is it is huge for our, our sons and daughters. And it might seem beyond trivial to us or just at least completely pointless at the time and completely low on the priority list. But I think that one of the worst things we can do to each other when one person is feeling stress is to be trivialized or patronized or essentially made to feel like we're wrong for feeling what we're feeling. And I, I really, I really enjoyed, I wanted to share this one experience. I enjoyed listening to a child psychologist at a conference uh, earlier this spring who spoke about how for toddlers, emotions are very black and white and very big. So there will be temper tantrums and there will be explosions and there will be these enormously disproportionate reactions to something. But within a minute or two, they'll be gone and they'll have moved on and they'll be in a totally different place where we as adults carry that 
And we place that in our, our frontal lobe and we start mulling it over and thinking, what did we do wrong? What could we have done better? And why is my child acting this way? Is there something wrong with them? Is there something more that I could do? And she did it in such a comedic way. She actually had most of us laughing in the room because I think we've all felt that way, whether or not we were all parents or, or just in a teaching position. It can be such a bizarre thing to watch when someone is suddenly not in the mood they were just in, and yet you are now dragged right into the middle of that mood. Now, when you're dealing with someone that is of an, uh, say, an older age, we'll use a, a teenager, for example, they do think in more than black and white. They do think in more than one-dimensional moments, and they do feel in more than black and white and one-dimensional moments. But the ability to... Uh, ameliorate their own incredibly heightened emotions is far less than ours. So I feel as though in those moments, it really is handy, um, wise and helpful to us if we can find ways of not letting what they're experiencing get to us, into our insides. We can hear it. We can show understanding. We can show compassion. We can be empathetic because we've all felt something similar, but we don't let it get to us in the sense that now it's something's wrong with the way we're doing something or the way we're reacting or the way we're feeling or what we have done in the past. And I think that that ties in a little bit to our egos, but I think that that also ties into the way that we're reacting to that stressful moment. And that goes back to where I'm saying, I think that our, bus our, sorry, our buttons can be pushed so much more easily if we are exhausted, undernourished, undernurtured, and that's self-nurture. I'm not even talking about somebody else taking care of that. And uh, over, let's say overextended. You know that feeling where you feel like everybody wants a piece of you and their expectations are of a pretty good piece and you're looking inside yourself and you don't even see any good pieces left because of course you're looking for yourself and yet you're still operating and you're still going through your days and you're still smiling and 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 things are still humming and people are still thinking you're perfectly competent if not splendid and it almost makes it worse because it would be really lovely to feel like you could just stand in the middle of a room put your arms down by your side and scream at the top of your lungs and everyone goes silent and everyone says, is there anything I can do? And then everyone either do it to help out or to do it for you or else just leave you alone. That's rare. <laughs> if ever is that going to happen. And I feel that we need to have something that we use as sort of a decompression zone before we get to that point. And I find for myself having such a hot temper and having such an emotional personality and having such deep sensitivity to everything around me, I sometimes feel like a mushroom spore. I feel like I am taking in everything that is around me and I am left with this sort of strange dust-like thing on these very thin membranes in my body. And I'm not always 100% sure of how to deal with it, but I do. I just deal with it until I come home. And then that's when my impatience and my short-tempered 
self and my, my, I'll call it hypersensitivity, not in a way to belittle myself, but to say that I'm, I'm at that point where I can't look at someone and say, I'm really tired. We don't need to talk this way, or we don't need to communicate this way, or is there a different way you could talk to me about this? I just get to the snapping point. So I know that I have many things that I need to take care of. One of them is, is I need to make sure I get at least seven and a half, preferably eight hours of sleep. Oh, I wish it could be 10, but let's just settle with eight. I need to get outside at least once a day. If I don't get outside, I, I find myself feeling probably like a, an animal does that's locked in all day. Uh, almost a bit crazy, almost a little bit as though I can't put anything into perspective. I can't put things into a reasonable order. I, I can't react in a calm fashion. I just feel that sort of, you know, tight chest. Just, um, I, I almost feel like it's pent up, like I'm about to explode. And the third thing is, is I need to have proper nutrition. I find that if I have a day where I've, I've been, quote unquote, too busy, because one can never be too busy to eat, but, you know, I, I, I put it very low on the priority totem. And next thing you know, I am low blood sugar, low energy, cranky and and shaky and feeling a bit queasy. And then by the time you eat, your body's just starving, shoves it all in there, doesn't digest it properly. And then you feel lousy. So I have a little list of recommendations for myself and I do try to to follow them. Uh, most of the time I do. Sometimes it's a, I'll call it a weekday. I don't manage to fulfill all of those obligations to myself and I'm not my best self. And I guess what I rely on in those circumstances is are my communication skills and my ability to, to understand that within relationships, it's important to listen. It's important to speak. It's important to be 100% authentically real about who you are and what you're feeling and what you can take and what you can't take. And it's really important to feel, I want to just say fully honored, because I feel as though if you feel like you're constantly trying to be on or um, not show what you dis- you would self-describe as not a pretty part of yourself or a uh, mm, enticing part of yourself if you're constant whatever it might be whether it be um, refusing to disclose bodily functions or refusing to see uh, that you know yeah you actually do have bags under your eyes and you don't need to quote unquote put on your face to go out and face the world be what you need to be or maybe you are just so weepy and at the end of your emotional tether that you literally emotionally can't take on anything more so reach out and ask for help and if that person that you're in a relationship with, uh, I'm assuming less like a platonic one now and more like a loved one, because this would be uh, on such an intimate scale in the day to day ins and outs. If that person refuses to be there for you or is unable to be there for you, you need to talk about that. And that really needs to be brought to the forefront because that's a to me, that's a real relationship being there for one another uh, allowing each other to be their most beautiful and their most ugly selves and allowing that light and dark to embrace one another and those opposites to basically combine to make one beautifully full human being 
And I think that as a parent, I keep that in mind in my relationship with my daughter as well, that, yeah, sometimes it does feel like there's a lot of dark and it does feel like there's a lot of work in dealing with the dark. But then I have to remind myself of a couple of things. And one of them is this is a developing human being. This is someone who is learning how to sort this all out. This is someone who's learning how to place it all in priority and to figure out how they can calm themselves, how they can self-soothe, how they can mitigate certain situations that push their buttons. And it might not, it maybe it's not even something that they can actually fully vocalize yet, but it becomes more apparent as time goes on. And as a as an elder, as a parent, I feel like it's up to us to help. And it's up to us to recognize that they don't have all the answers. Sometimes they have none of the answers. And us snapping at them and making it seem like they're, you know, the biggest pains in our butts and and drawing our energy, oh, that hurts. That really hurts to be on the receiving end. And I think that sometimes as an adult, it's helpful for us to, to think about what that would feel like if our peer, our partner, was saying that to us. And I think that when it comes down to it, we need to be able to walk through life allowing people to be in their own moments and if their moment is a stressful moment we need to allow for that we need to give that person the space to go through that experience it whether it's a toddler that's block won't go on top of the other block properly whether it's um, a young 11 year old who's just been snubbed by who they thought was their best friend, whether or not it's a 16-year-old who's been broken up with by their first love, whether or not it's a 21-year-old who's um, flunking out of one of the courses that they thought that they were going to excel in, in their university, uh, undergraduate degree. There's, There's a lot of things that we can help ameliorate and calm and put perspective on. It doesn't mean to remove the sting it doesn't mean to remove the depth of the meaning that it is for the person who's in the middle of it because we have to keep remembering that there's a lot to be said about the sorting out process there's a lot to be said about going through that hardship it's wonderful to go through it with some support it's actually as a human quality I think it's necessary and I think that it's I think it's wonderful also to go through it with a sense of of being loved and knowing that, and I'll use this phrase, there's people that have your back, that there's someone behind you, there's someone that knows you and loves you. And sometimes that's all we need. And then we kind of want the freedom to sort it out on our own, unless we offer forth the information. And then sometimes the receiving person has to be wise enough to learn how to just listen and not try to fix And I have to say that in grown-up relationships, we have to do that all the time as well. Sometimes it's just a question of being there and listening. And sometimes being, sometimes learning. Here's another one that I've experienced a lot. Because I am so emotional and so sensitive, if someone is telling me something that is very hurtful to them, or if they're overcome by emotion and feeling deeply I find myself quite often go with them and I feel it too and I cry. But I'm trying to uh, 
with just about everyone, I try, I let them know right off the bat that I just say, this is just part of my emotions. This is just part of who I am. Please don't react to it. Don't, don't feel like you owe me anything. This is just, this is part of the entire recipe as opposed to just one ingredient. And I think that when I, when I reflect upon it, I think that sometimes that's one of our biggest problems in society is, is that we see people as ingredients as opposed to the entire recipe. And the entire recipe sometimes calls for some pretty bizarre ingredients. And it calls for some strange tastes. And it calls, calls for some, some odd preparation techniques. And sometimes it calls for it to sit overnight. And sometimes it calls for it to be refrigerated. <laughs> I mean, I've just sort of fallen into these metaphors and I'm feeling very positive about them because that's sometimes what we have to do with ourselves and our own heightened state of emotionality. And stress in itself can be so damaging and so incredibly profound. It has such a profound reaction on human beings, not only physically, but I now think about how often I have had my breath taken away when I found out that students, young humans, 15, 16, 17 years of age, are taking medications for anxiety and experiencing such high levels of stress in their lives already that they need something to interrupt that process. And I feel that sometimes there's things that we can't do anything about. You've heard me say tons of times we can only control our own actions, not other others' reactions. And sometimes life hands us some incredible challenges. And sometimes they come in human form. Sometimes they come in sort of a traumatic situation. Sometimes they come in the the form of a disease that takes away a loved one way, way before we're ready to let them go. And when it comes down to it, I don't think we're ever ready to completely let go. And that's another thing we need to learn is, is that sometimes grief is about hanging on and and allowing process to take place so that that grief can go to a place where it's always in us, but it's in us in a gentle fashion, where it's just part of the tapestry of our memories, as opposed to something that is raw and open like a wound and makes us just feel, you know, a constant sense of loss, as opposed to allowing us to feel all that preceded that loss. The loss never goes away and the grief never goes away. But I do think that 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 processing allows us to put it in a place where all of the other valuable aspects of that memory and that relationship are more dominant. And I feel like that relates to some of the traumatic situations that we come upon in life as well. And I think that sometimes we individually don't work hard enough at finding our own way of dealing with it and not judging it and not assuming that we're not doing it right unless we do this and this and this and this particular um, prescribed set of of steps. I, I you know, I, I think there's a lot of beautiful psychological and philosophical books out there that direct themselves towards things such as dealing with grief, things such as dealing with divorce, things such as dealing with uh, postpartum, things such as dealing with having a child, things such as dealing with a uh, teenage, shall we say, acrimony in the household, 
there's I mean, there's there's a there's a book for just about everything. And I'm not devaluing any of them. And I'm not saying that they don't have something incredibly valuable to offer forth. I just think that it's more personal. I think that how it can offer forth is by us experimenting with what works for us. And I shared with you some of the things that I know work for me. Uh, they have certainly helped me through many a situation. I've, I also surround myself with people that I love and that love me, I guess, would be the right way of saying it. Now, I'm going to just explain that a little further. I don't mean they love me as in, oh, I'm perfect and aren't I splendid and isn't every single moment, you know, the sun rising and setting. Uh, that would not be a stress-free life for me because undoubtedly what I would end up doing is trying to be that ridiculous person. I am surrounded by a family that truly loves me as I love them for all of our imperfections. And in our best times, we allow each other a lot of space to deal with those. We also allow each other a lot of space to be yucky. And, and then there is that expectation that we'll come through the other side and perhaps offer forth an apology or at least offer forth some sort of communication so that we can all move forward. And I, in my, I'll call it my outer circle away from my immediate family. I do try very hard to have relationships where I am 100% comfortable being me. I'm not interested in having relationships where I need to pretend, uh, a, because I'm horrible at it, B, because I can't stand it, and C, because to me that's not a relationship. I feel like there's enough moments where we have to perhaps grit our teeth and smile because the situation was just one of those ones where there's no point in inciting the person on the other side of perhaps we can call an altercation because perhaps they just don't have the capacity to understand, they don't have the tools, or they're clearly in such a heightened state of uh, emotional anger that we're not going to get anywhere with them. And sometimes people, I think, psychologically just never grow up. There's not a level of maturation for them to recognize that, you know, just yelling verbal abuse and um, emotional abuse on others that's not okay. <laughs> it's okay for us to experience downtimes. It's okay for us to express anger, but to constantly put it on others is not okay. And I feel like that is the key. I think that we need to give each other the space to be stressed, to be angry, to be upset, to come out of the other end of it, to communicate whatever we need to communicate to move past that and we need to give ourselves the space to be all of the aforementioned things. And then we need to move forward and then find perhaps more ways of ameliorating all those factors that led us to that really angry time before we get to that place. And that brings me last but not least to something that I call button pushing. And that is, I think we all have thresholds and we all have limitations within us. We all have things we like and dislike. And let's use just a very simple example. For instance, some people really dislike being teased. Maybe they are of a very literal nature. Maybe they have some traumatic past in which teasing 
is never kind. It's never funny. It's never tongue-in-cheek. It's never sweet. It's always mean. And they literally can't take it. So if we know that and we're close to them and we do it anyways, to me, that's called button pushing. And for that, I feel like, yeah, someone could plead ignorance and say, well, you know, I wasn't thinking about it or I didn't know it. But for me, that just is an example of not really caring deeply enough to think about the other human being. I think that we can have, um, let's say, moments where perhaps that's the way you act out your anger or your stress is that you push other people's buttons. But as soon as you become aware of what it is you're doing, or maybe would be even better before that, while you're getting stressed or you are stressed, or you come home in a state of stress to, to announce that, to express that, to say, listen, I am really at my wits end today. And I, I just, you know, I wanted to give you a heads up and warn you that I might not be my best self. I think that is a really lovely way of dealing with each other. And I think it's also a really lovely way of providing a safe place for yourself and also for the other person who may be in the room experiencing you. And last but not least, I, I think that um, button pushing, if it, if it continues, uh, if someone is constantly trying to get a rise out of you, there's a seriously deep problem underscoring all of that. There is something pernicious and pervasive that is possibly ugly and needs to be resolved, sorted, uh, discovered, and, and dealt with. And no one should have to, no one should have to endure that. That is essentially being put in a state of heightened stress constantly and then your body trying to deal with it. And we have adrenal glands for or adrenal glands for a reason. And we have adrenaline for a reason. And we have survival modes, fight or flight for a reason. But we're not supposed to be living in them. They're there to help us get through atrociously difficult times. They're there to survive, not to exist in. Yeah, so... Having said that, I am feeling very relaxed after sharing this conversation with you. And I hope that perhaps some of the perspectives on dealing with stress and allowing people to experience it in their in their own space and allowing yourself to experience it in your own space, I hope it helps. And I look forward to communicating with all of you again very soon in a slightly different paradigm and with some guests. And until then, I thank you all for coming to Sarah's Space. See you later.